Welcome to Revere Asset Management's Your Money with Danny Stewart. The market will always overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And Don Vandenborn. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. Do you know what millennial earning season is? You know, because we're right in the middle of it, and if you don't, you should. And are analysts a lagging indicator? You also know what the silver tsunami is. That's another thing you need. And what are your biggest risk to you and your retirement? And, oh, did you hear the fast-track bill to cut Social Security? They're going to cut your benefits because we're running out of money in seven years. Let the politicking begin. And there are calls to boycott Vanguard because they're not going to let you buy a Bitcoin ETF. Boo-hoo. Get over it. But don't worry. I think once they see all the money flows going into Bitcoin, I think Vanguard will have a change of heart. But who knows? And, and the Blackstone REIT ETF, their, their BREIT, the Blackstone REIT, which is a commercial REIT primarily, had their worst year ever. Still not too bad. But is that a canary in the coal mine? And Ken Fisher hates annuities. Well, good. Welcome to the party, Ken. And uh, Ken, you know, I, I don't know. He buys 2% of 50%, uh, 2% positions of 50 different stocks and then calls it active management. You might as well buy the S&P fund. That's my opinion. But anyhow, let's go right to the millennial earning season. Very quickly, we'll take a poll. Don, do you know what the millennial earning season is? I do not. Uh, Michael? Uh, don't Google it. Stocks, don't Google it. Ted, Ted, do you know? Don't Google it. Hello, Ted. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. He's shaking his head. All right. What about Connor? Connor? No, no. All right. The, no. millenni the millennial earning season is when, well, they do this every time, but apparently this time it feels a little more egregious. That's when they sandbag earnings so everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a trophy, the last place team, the first place team, every company or almost every company, most of them are going to beat earnings because they've been managed downward. Now, if you, if you actually, actually have, um, um, if they had stuck to their guns, their initial estimates, it would nearly be about 70, 75% beat. But think about this, folks. If an analyst is supposed to try to get the earnings right. He's trying to nail those earnings. You would think that for statistically, they'd have about 50% slightly above it, 50% slightly below it. In other words, he's a little bit above. Sometimes he's a little bit below. But if you look historically, actually these companies are beating earnings 70, 80% of the time. It's skewed way to 50-50. Well, Either, either the analysts are on board and it's all a big collusion deal with Wall Street and it's a big uh, traditional brotherhood high five, or they're just lousy at their job and they're not good, or they're being manipulated by the companies and managing their earnings down so that they can- Dan, you know none of that matters. I, I know none you of know that none matters. You know none of that matters, right? I, I know none of that. I'm getting to the point. Don't steal my thunder, Don. All right. All uh, right. I, I, <laughs> anyway, anyway. And by the way, it might not be, those are not mutually exclusive. It could be a combination of all those. And some of these analysts probably don't even realize they're getting led around by the nose. Uh, some of them actually do, though. 
All right. Now, anyway, it's it's a very good article, and it's talking about the analysts being overly optimistic. And the bottom line is they don't, once growth starts slowing, they don't bring their forecast down. They're a lagging indicator. And then they give some some uh, comments about the reversion to the mean. It actually is a an article full of um, 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 good facts. But the bottom line is analysts don't help you making money. So when I saw that article, it intrigued me, but I really didn't care. Now, this one is a good article, and this talks about uh, a perilous time, investing pros and cons, the next big risk. We got three big risks here, folks, that you got to watch out for, okay? Now, you always want to know who's writing the articles because they'll slant it to their objective. But these are very good, valid risks. Geopolitical, last several years, uh, really bad, you know, look, I don't have to go into it. Middle East, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, there's wars breaking out everywhere. And he's saying his biggest concern is the geopolitical risk. Got it. You're right. The Silver Tsunami by Katie Koch. She's the CEO of TCW. Basically, it's an investment management group. They help manage 401ks and stuff like that. Her largest risk is longevity risk. People are starting, their lifespan is increasing, although in the last two years, for the first time ever, our lifespans got shorter. Anyway, uh, lifespans are increasing. People are getting uh, living longer. And this mega trend, this silver tsunami, meaning people are living longer. And so then you've got to position your portfolio to be able to last longer in retirement. Her solution? The advances in healthcare at another six years, high quality of life, um, creating disruptions. Uh, but here is her solution. We need a lifetime guaranteed income. We need to make sure that maybe... Maybe the solution is, number one, people could work longer. The second solution is adding an insurance component, like a defined benefit plan, like a, a defined a pension plan, and we can make the 401ks look more like a defined benefit plan. So we need to kind of have these lifetime incomes in your 401k. Remember I told you that about six months, this is coming down the pike and they're trying to, to uh, mandate this. Now, folks, you can always annuitize something and get income for life. So if I've got a lump sum, once I'm retiring, I can take my million dollars and I can go to these four different insurance companies and say, here's my million dollars. What's the best deal you're going to give me based on my life expectancy or me and my wife or however you want to structure it. And you can take the highest bidder as long as they're all credit quality and good credit rating. You want who's going to give you the highest one. But doing an annuity while you're making contributions and growing it, you'll do a lot better investing in equities or whatever it is, other equities over the longer term if you've got time on your side. And then later, you can annuitize it once you're ready to retire. But, but putting an annuity component inside the 401k is going to reduce your lifetime income later. She didn't mention that. She didn't mention, did she do a comparison, that new DOL rule comparing the fees and, 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 and all that stuff? I don't think she did. Anyway, uh, so I agree with her longevity. People are getting, you got to plan for longer retirement periods, 
I completely disagree with her solution. And lastly, um, the, um, this is a great one. The American dream, uh, why America uh, uh, has its American dream was innovation and competitiveness. But he's talking about education. He said, right now our education system is broken and we've got to fix it to keep our competitiveness. In any event, that was a great article. I put both of those on there so you can read them if you want. And then I have the other articles, the Ken Fisher Hates Annuity article and the Brexit. Now, I also put the article, it's just breaking about the Social Security cuts. They're talking about doing a bill. They've just proposed it. There's no details out yet. Uh, Democrats have vowed they won't let any cuts whatsoever, ever, ever, ever happen to Social Security. That's going to run out in seven years. And the Republicans are saying we've, we've got to do something. So we'll see how that plays out. Lastly, we've got a new uh, PLESA, Pension-Linked Emergency Savings Account. So now they're going to allow you to add on $2,500 through employer match or through your own contributions. You can withhold a little bit, up to $2,500 a year, for this emergency savings account over and above your maximum 401k contributions. And you can tap that for emergencies. Like a home, you get a medical emergency, you get an You don't have to take a distribution. It'll avoid the 10% early distribution penalty. So it's a way to allow you to access money, just little bits of money for emergencies and not hit, hitting up your 401k for a loan. That's actually kind of a cool deal. We'll see if that actually plays out. All right, enough said, let's start getting to the markets. But first I wanna do the mailbag and we've got a very interesting two mailbags one from very, very far, uh, one from very, very far away. In fact, I think we need to have a contest for the farthest away. In any event, this was on 118 from NR from Dan Undermite. Uh, um, uh, first, I would love to say thanks. Everything you guys do, getting past all the trash of the other fundies get stuck with, um, based in Australia. I don't think we have anyone similar to you out here. I watch all your daily insight videos on YouTube. Thank you. Uh, and like them, I trade 60-40 Australian versus US market. I've been trading for years now. I feel like I'm trading trending sideways, but I know I will make it one day and become profitable as I work pretty hard at it after my full-time job. Anyway, I'm 32. I have about 100 uh, AUD, Australian dollars, sitting in the bank, earning 5.5%. I'm just looking for possible ideas to park it to maximize my yearly returns. I've got a trading account also, long-term investing gold, Bitcoin assets. What I'm thinking, is it better? This is a question. Is it better to just slowly build positions for the longer term in the NASDAQ or S&P? I feel waiting for it to pull back might be a losing battle at, at history unless we break the 200-day moving average. Also, when trading, do you have stats on how long it takes um, for the market to get back to positive once the, he's got 20 MA, but I think he meant 200-day moving average is broken. I was thinking, does, um, I was thinking that once this does and I have a position I could hedge with shorting the S&P to protect the portfolio capital. Love to hear your thoughts. Uh, sorry about the long-winded question, NR. Me. Good night, Mike, from up above. My sister lives in Sydney. 
I will let Don respond to your market questions regarding the long-term NASDAQ and S&P 200-day moving average and hedging. But as far as ideas, Revere can take Australian clients with an international swab account. Um, certain countries are perfectly fine and have the appropriate treaty. Others, not so much. Australia is one of the countries with a solid treaty. And when, if you become a client, our tomorrow's insight videos, Don Daly's Market Insight videos, will really come alive because now you will feel in real time what Don is saying, what we're actually doing in the accounts. Otherwise, I personally would have a full brokerage account and take advantage of the highest safe interest rate you can get during downtrends, during market weakness. In the U.S., that would be a treasury uh, money market fund. And then I'd move to equities when a strong uptrend is forming and or in place. Easier said than done, but if you are able to dedicate enough time to monitoring, you should get northward of 5.5% fairly easy over the long term. And short-term rates are likely to come down soon and rather quickly, so I wouldn't count on rates staying at 5.5. Uh, so as an alternative strategy than simply... Uh, so I think that's a better alternative strategy than simply interest at your age is highly advised. My concern for you, uh, uh, my biggest concern for you is your time constraints. Remember, he said he's working full time. Folks, this is a tough, uh, investing is tough. And these guys that think they can do two hours a day and trade, make money and shut their computer, that's very difficult to do. That's hard to do. Anyway, thanks for listening. Please tell us about you. Uh, uh, keep, please tell your friends about us. And thanks for reaching out. Cheers, Danny. This is Don's response. Regarding these two points, better to slowly build positions in the NASDAQ or S&P. Uh, I feel like waiting for the pullback. Don says, you know from our videos that we invest client access based on money on market health across three time frames. You can do the same. 100K earnings 5.5% 5, 5 is losing money, uh, is, is losing money um, um, if we're in a, to stocks if we're in a strong bull market. So in other words, if we're in a good market, stocks are better. Um, also, when trading, do you have st uh, stats on how long it takes to get back even? That was his question. Uh, Don said, we're gathering the stats, but it definitely varies depending on market strength. There is no surefire rule. Folks, sometimes when it breaks below the 200-day moving average, it'll do that a couple times and break back above, and the 200 actually acts as support. And so it just is kind of a bounce off there. Sometimes it breaks through and it breaks through and then the 200 acts as resistance and you could actually go down to, into a real bear market. So it may actually be longer. So I'll let Don, Don, you want to hit that question first and then we'll hit the other one? Uh, I think what you read captures my thoughts pretty clearly, but my comments about the 20, the 20 day, I didn't read it as uh, the 200 day. I uh, should have probably, but... Um, I was, we're, we're gathering stats when we break the 21 day also and what like right. the average, uh, what's the average time trending above, trending below. Uh, we're in, in the process of putting a bunch of numbers together for that. So I was, my, my response referenced uh, the 21 day or the okay. 20 day, 21, 21 day average, not the 200 day. But but in, in in but but the main thing is you've got a couple different time frames and you're going to take off layers as they break those short term, mid term, and long term. So you're not going all in and all out, folks. If you're trying to go all in and all out, you really, really, really got to be right because whipsaw. That's 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 how you get whipsaw badly. So it's usually better to go in layers because the market doesn't move straight up or straight down. Okay. 
All right. Now, this is a very good one. This is from CK. Hi, Don. Great job on NVIDIA pick. I'm curious on what the strategy is for selling into strength. According to my rough calc, she's also a client, rough calcs, uh, we are 12% above the 21 and 16% above the, oh, this was on 118, above the 50. These are rough but close enough. Uh, for my own trading education and based on canceling method, how do we preserve profits without giving up the gain, which we would do if we were to pull way back to the 20 or the 21 or the 50? I realize moving averages can catch up over time, but do you have a stop loss in mind other than the 21 or 50? Where would you take profits? What would be your first clue that momentum is waning? It looks like we were oversold territory on the RSI, but I realize we can stay oversold for a long time. This is solely for my educational purposes only. Thank you, TK. Very quickly, before Don hits that, when she's talking about the moving averages can moving up. So folks, when they talk about the averages and reversion to the mean, there's two ways you can do that. Either if you're below the, the average, either the price can come down to it, or if the stock keeps trending up, the moving average can be pulled up. So the stock does not necessarily have to correct and pull back to the moving average line. But that's why we're doing studies on how much above the moving average do those pullbacks really start to occur. All right, go ahead, Don. So the, I, um, Zach, if you can show my screen. So I have two charts here, Eagler Market Smith chart. Uh, of NVIDIA, you can see where it broke above the 504 pivot and it just continued to run up. Uh, this is a daily chart. That when that um, letter came in on the 18th, uh, we were extended. We're similarly extended now, but the price is higher. So, um, Dan, I, I gave a response. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did yes, you, yes, did I'm you sorry. Read? Um, Yes, I'm sorry. I forgot to read your, your response. That's um, Hi, CK. Great question. Properly handling leading stocks in a bull market is the holy grail. That's true. Uh, from experience, the only certain thing is that nobody will get it exactly right. The challenge in is in giving up and giving it enough room not to choke off profits while simultaneously not allowing it to pull back too much where substantially where substantial gains can be lost. There are many shades of gray in these decisions, and they are tied to the individual stock action. That's playing the notes between the the the. the playing the music between the notes. Um, uh, individual stock action, sector rotation, and overall market action. For us, the approach is to establish a core and trade around it. Our first line of defense is the 8 EMA, exponential moving average, then the 21 exponential moving average, and then the 50-day simple. Uh, we have multiple holdings with 20% gains in the core, NVIDIA, AMD, Crowd, Plus, Index, ETFs. We closely monitor these shades of gray when making decisions. Thanks for the great question. What a great answer, too, Dan, huh? <laughs> You're so smart. No, she this, did. This, okay. is, this is absolutely uh, the most difficult uh thing to do is properly handling uh, gross stocks to not choke off profits, but stay in them as long as you can. Uh, unfortunately, I got stopped out of SMCI earlier this week, and I'm looking at it being up 31% right now uh, as they uh, 
up their earnings report. They could have done that two days earlier, but I've just got to we've got to move on. So anyway, here this is NVIDIA. We've got uh, a Keltner channel chart here. Basically, each one of these lines is one average true range above the line, which is the 21-day exponential moving average. And you can see uh, NVIDIA is just inching higher, but the plus 2 ATOS for ATR. Now, the temptation is there to just lock in some profits when you touch the plus ATR and then pull back. And I probably was thinking that two days ago when we were at the bottom here after bouncing off the plus four and coming all the way back to the plus two. But with patience, and you also have to consider, this is not your run-of-the-mill stock. This is an absolute true market leader that just got finished basing, broke out of a base, and money is piling into it. Look at the big blue volume bars down here. It's institutionally loved, and it's at the, it's the heartbeat of the AI um, movement that we're going through, the technology technology uh, advancements that are being brought by AI, AI AMD, and uh, NVIDIA chips are at the heart of that. So uh, this is one of the shades of gray, and it factors into it. There are certainly other uh, stocks that have come up to a plus four ATR that we've taken profits on, but that was probably during sideways markets. There's, that's one of the shades of gray also. You got to understand what type of a market are you in? Are you in a, in a bull market, which we are now, or are you in a range bound market? And this is a stock that's just sticking out to the upside and the type of the odds are that uh, the strongest stock will pull back in a market that's just trending sideways because 75% of stocks will follow the trend of the overall market. So, uh, you know, this is just a situation where we're letting it run, but the first line of defense is this purple line on the chart here. That's the eight-day exponential moving average, and we'll combine that with what's going on with the plus two ATR, which is also acting as a support mechanism while it's been going up at a very quick pace over these last uh, days after it broke out above the um, above the pivot, that 504 pivot. Uh, from the form you can see is actually base on base, gave it a lot of room uh, to consolidate. The market corrected. The market went from correcting to going back into an uptrend, tried to break out of the double bottom, wasn't quite ready yet. It had just reported earnings. Uh, and then everybody's saying when it failed to break out, he break out here. There's no way this stock can work. There's too many eyes on it. And boom, right here, uh, breaks out on massive volume. Uh, almost double average volume, which for a big cap stock like this is, uh, and then followed up with even more volume the next day uh, on one eight, following up on one nine, and it's just been on a heater since then, uh, breaking above this this level. So we're just going to let it run uh, and use the eight day uh, as uh, some sort of uh, as the short term uh, defensive sell signal. Uh, let's look at another one. That was very tempting to take some off the other day, uh, but again, we didn't, and that was AMD. So we've got the candles on AMD here. See, it came right up near the plus four ATR, uh, pulled back the same day all the way down to the plus two ATR, uh, but it's regaining most of those, most of that pullback here. And this is another one you can see the huge volume uh, the last four days since it broke out above that 150 level. And it's another uh, chip stock that's at uh, at the heart of this AI movement right here. And these are true market leaders, and you just try to give them as much room as you can between these two positions. It's 10% of our portfolio. 
uh, not to mention the the percent that they make up from our uh, index uh, holdings that we have. They're they're pretty large cap stocks, so um, you know it's uh, we're we're letting them run basically, keeping an eye on that purple line, the eight EMA, and in this case the plus two ATR. Uh, let's take a look at one that tested the eight EMA but we didn't uh, blow it out. Another leader, CrowdStrike, this is cybersecurity, undercut but closed above the 8 EMA two days ago while the market was pulling back. Let's look at the Keltner channel chart uh, on CrowdStrike. Uh, this is another one that got up and is touching the plus four ATR, pulled back actually below but closed at the plus two ATR. Now it's trying to make new highs again. Uh, if it would have closed below on this day, and followed through to the downside the next day, we would have taken some off because that's a change in character because look how long it has just uh, trended above the eight day exponential moving average while it's on its runs higher. And it pulled back along with the market, held the 21 and then recaptured that level uh, on the eighth when it gapped up. That The eighth was a big day uh, for tech stocks and for the market. We kicked off uh, another leg up since then, but pull back, bounced at the ADMA. So between the ATR, uh, charts and the eight day exponential moving average on a regular chart. That's the first line of booking in uh, some profits for these names. And we've got 20, 30 ish or plus percent uh, profits on these names. So, yeah, we don't want to give it back, but uh, we will give it back. We will take profits in slices on these. We won't blow it uh, all out at once. Uh, but there's uh, like the original CrowdStrike buy that we bought on November 1 is up 60%. The, the original NVIDIA um, that we bought for some, we, we locked profits in for IRA accounts for some taxable accounts. We hedged it, but that's up 118% since March of last year. So you really want to try to give these true market leaders enough space to run. At the same time, we, we don't want to uh, give back our profits. And for that, our mechanism is those three moving averages. Well, then that that really is the secret sauce. That really is the secret sauce. And that's the hard part. Uh, the hardest part about investing, look, when the market's like really getting ugly and starting to sell off, getting defensive, defensive selling is is fairly easy, in my opinion, you ask Don, but that's the easier part. Identifying a stock that's starting to break out on volume is probably next, but then how to let these winners run, that's really the tricky part. And, and Don said it perfectly, in a choppy sideways market range bound, you're gonna be much quicker to take profits when it's above, when it's on the higher end of those oscillating indicators, right? When it's quote, over, overbought. However, in a strong bull market, you're, you're going to give it more leash. You're going to give it more room, and it's not mutually exclusive. You don't have to sell all of it. You can take 30% off or 50% and let a portion of it run. So some people have rules where they get into a stock, and once they hit 20% or 30% profit, they just a, a rule for them. We, we don't subscribe to this, but uh, we have kind of nuances of this. But they'll have a hard rule where they'll take half of their profit or 30% of their profit, and then they keep doing that. In any event, it's good. Now, she did have one other comment. Uh, thank you for the explainer. As a follow-up to last week's show, you talked about the new Bitcoin ETFs. I, I came across an article, a podcast actually, by Cody Willard. Uh, pretty much correlates what you said. I've never really given any, she's talking to me now, never given any thought to custodian bankruptcy. Like if the custodian goes bankrupt, the Bitcoin 
custodian uh, provider or Schwab or Fidelity, whoever, um, um, Cody, uh, he also, like you, prefers IBIT, IBIT. Um, in any event, I did put post that uh, video on the website if you like. It was we did a very good video on the Bitcoin ETFs just last show. So if you want to go check that out, uh, you can. Um, but in any event, those are all the show notes. All right, with that done, you want to go to the boys? Let's go to the men, Dan. Men, the men, the men. <laughs> <laughs> We'll start off with uh, Teddy Bear today. Sorry, Teddy Bull. Yep. Teddy Bull. Yep. Okay, so today I just wanted to talk about a misconception that a lot of traders and investor ha investors have with the relative strength line. And that particularly evolves around this bear market to bull market transition in leaders. So Don, if you're to pull up the Netflix weekly chart, that I sent you. As you can see, Netflix bottomed around okay. October 2008. Hold on, that's that's SMCI uh, to Petter. There's Netflix. Okay, perfect. So as you can see, Netflix, as we know, like it's been one of the biggest leaders. Um, it's it's in the model books of many of the great. Uh, studies. And this is the transition after the great financial crisis into the bull market that subsequently happened. And so Netflix bottomed around October 2008, and it made that really nice run up. And as you can see, the RS line was just flashing absolute outperformance. However, so I also marked on the chart the great financial crisis market bottom there, where Netflix put in an intermediary top and pretty much consolidated for the next three months and the RS line started lagging. And so here's where a lot of traders and investors make the mistake of just labeling Netflix as a lagging stock now because it broke the 10 week, it's testing the 30 week now. But however, what this shows is that Netflix led the market in the beginning and now it's, it's kind of taking a break and the market is actually doing the catch up versus the other way around where people think Netflix is a lagger. And so after the market has done some of its catch up after a bottom in 2009, around that March area, Netflix broke out of this base three months later. And I mean, the rest is history if you were to take on, if you to look at a larger time frame chart. So I just want to talk about two examples of the modern day. Don, if you can pull up either SMCI or NVIDIA, both, either one's fine. Okay, so SMCI. Don mentioned it a little bit about the guidance raise and it's gapped up into all-time highs. I have a few markings on the chart, just like Netflix. We had that 2022 bear market um, induced by the Fed interest rate hiking cycle. The entire time, as you can see, I drew that upper trend line on this weekly chart. SMCI's up was making higher highs and higher lows during the entire bear market. And that is like, that is just screaming a leader. And so I also marked later on in that October 2022 area, which is where the market bottomed. And SMCI was taking off into new highs. In this first area highlighted in the, in the purple or orange box was that SMCI outperformance. In the last six months, as the market was catching up, SMCI's RS line, like Netflix, started lagging a bit. It broke to 10 week on that earnings gap down, but it just started digesting its move. 
And now with this new earnings report or preliminary earnings report, it's gapped up into all-time highs and the, and the relative strength as well, confirming that. And so just again, I saw a lot of like chatter on social media and various chat rooms um, and other traders just saying, SMCI is done. It looked pretty dire after that earnings gap down, but it held itself, found support at the 30 week like Netflix, and now it's back to the races. And then finally, NVIDIA, it's probably talked about so much. We own it in GrowTection. It's one of our biggest positions, which is definitely nice to have because it's one of the leaders, if not it's the number one leader of the market or number two, as it's capturing all the value from AI. Um, there's a report that Zuckerberg and Meta was buying 350,000 GPUs worth of, which is worth like $10 billion by the end of 2024. And that's just one company alone um, purchasing GPUs from NVIDIA. And the same thing. So NVIDIA bottomed coincidentally with around the market bottom, but throughout the run, NVIDIA outperformed indicated by the relative strength line. Um, I pointed that, up, pointed that out up top. And then it, it kind of started stalling and putting in this base while other leaders kind of broke into new highs off that October correction low and this like recent two, three month uptrend. And NVIDIA just kept digesting that move. And now we're breaking the new highs. The relative strength line is confirming. And so far we're off to the races. And just another golden nugget I want to add this isn't a daily chart, but if you were to pull up a daily chart, there's characteristics called ants developed by David Ryan. Basically, that's 12 out of 15 days up, 20% price increase, and 20% volume increase. And when you get that on a chart, it just it's it's just screaming institutional accumulation. And oftentimes it's you want to hold at least a piece for a longer term move. So I just I just want to talk about this little misconception that traders and investors have, and it can often kind of, they, it can cause them to miss the leaders that, the leaders that take a break that are actually the true leaders. Good Thanks, stuff, Ted. Ted. Thanks very much. So, so uh, real, real, on. Real, hang on real, real quick. So basically what you're saying is when they're actually, when these are pausing and, and taking a little bit of a break and you're in a primary uptrend because breath is expanding these other stocks that aren't really leaders but are finally starting to heat up because the leading stocks are the ones that break out early in the move and then these other stocks mm -hmm. catch up. Yeah. When you start having other stocks start to rally on a relative basis, it looks like the RS line is weakening. But still, if you just mm -hmm. take a step back and look at the bigger picture, these stocks are still the best stocks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks. Exactly. Yep. And then couple and then couple that with like sector and group theme, um, and then the fundamentals as well, earnings and sales and other right. other things we look at. Yeah. Right. All right. Connor's going to talk about some key groups. One of the notes that uh, one of the takeaways, if you read O'Neill's book, is that we're always looking for things that are changing the way we work, play, and live. And a lot of times those are boiled down to a small number of groups that you want to keep your eye on. And that's what Connor's going to talk about today. Yeah. So as the market's been strong and there's been stocks standing out, um, I wanted to talk about based on historical studies, there's four industry groups that has produced the most uh, momentum uh, winners and the best performing stocks in history. And the four groups that these stocks have come from is consumer retails, number one, technology, computer, software, 
any related tech, drugs, medical, biotech, and then leisure slash entertainment. So based on historical precedents, these are the four strongest industry groups, and these are where some of the strongest stocks in history have come from. So coming off those lows in October, um, what were some of the big winners over the past year? Well, all the best ones fall into these four groups. So I thought it'd be cool to highlight different names in these groups um, over the past year that have been big winners. So if we look at consumer retail, two of the biggest winners over the last year has been ELF is number one. This stock's up 196% over the past year. And this fits in the consumer retail uh, industry. And then another one is ANF. Abercrombie & Fitch, this stock is up 258% in the past year and right in that consumer retail theme. And there's many more, but those two are two of the TMLs and, and top performers in that group. And then next for the technology, computer, software, um, two of the best stocks in the market right now, NVIDIA number one, which is up 240% uh, in the last year and then SMCI as well, which has staged a huge move. And both, both of these coming in the tech, tech area. And then uh, drugs, medical, biotech, that's another group that can produce great winners. Um, the big theme over the past year has been Ozempic and Eli Lilly is the market leader for that group. Um, just their new drug is catching a lot of steam and this stock is up 77% in the past year. And then lastly, leisure, entertain, leisure entertainment, um, Uber's the big winner there. That's up 125% in the past year. And um, even Netflix, Netflix was, you know, an old mag, is a mag seven name that was hit hard um, in the bear market, but has had a huge move off the lows. So, you know, I think this is super eye-opening because you know, all these stocks I just mentioned are arguably the strongest stocks in the market right now. And it's no coincidence that they all come from these four different groups. So this is something good to keep in the back of your head when you're looking for stocks and, and trying to find the next big winner. Um, if they come from these four groups, statistically, they have the best chance. So focus on you stocks know, this in those four groups. Yeah, this Netflix weekly chart has so many lessons in here. Uh, first of all, the the, the prior run-up that it had. Uh, but then if you blindly just decide you want to hold Netflix, Netflix uh, broke the 200-day moving average in the high 500s back here. Uh, and this is when they reported that they were having slowdown sales. Remember, this is coming out of COVID. So a lot of people got Netflix. They had nothing else to do. Things start to open back up. People are going around cutting their Netflix, uh, either cutting their Netflix accounts or their growth stalled. And this stock went from 570-ish uh, all the way down to 170-ish. Why would you sit through that? Even if you believe in Netflix, you can wait for it to form bases, put in a bottom, get back above the 200-day moving average, which it did again around 260, and now it's doubled since then back up to 500. Just blindly holding stocks forever, people love to say, you know, this is up X percent, but there's no guarantee. So many companies end up going bankrupt or absolutely never coming back. Microsoft was dead money for 20 years before it started its next run up. So, so many lessons. 
Uh, well, that, that's that's the whole point, Don, is you don't know in advance. Sure, it's you're looking at right, it now going, know. oh, wait, right. that came back. But out of that one, there's nine other charts like that that didn't come back. So that was the one out of 10 that did. And so it became a leading stock again, but you didn't know that in advance. And Don's saying you can actually watch it as it proves itself and then get back in. You're only one trade away from getting back in. Yep. There's, there's Microsoft, what we're talking about. No no gains for, uh, well, I guess it was about 15 years, started to form a base. And then when they switched to this their subscription model away from... Uh, well, they got rid of Bomber and got Nandela, discs, yeah. And they got, yeah. Rid of, got rid of Bomber. And Nandela, you know, he followed the Adobe CE, uh, CEOs. He was the first to come up with this subscription model uh, for certain you can see what Adobe's done. Uh, during their big run up going from look at that 40 50 to 600 um, amazing stuff thanks connor really good uh and that's just reinforces why we've always got our eyes on those four um those four big sectors let's take it away to mike now who's got some uh going to discuss the coal sector today take it away mike so I'm going to use these two coal names as examples for, for a, a specific strategy that, that's a little different from what we've spoken about. And the reason why you can't do this all the time is because they don't show up all the time. But when you do find something like this, it's, it's really, it's an anomaly. And you can get some incredible returns if, if you discover these anomalies. So the first one is AMR. And if you look at AMR, about three and a half years ago, it was sitting at $2.50 a share. And we've been talking about names, amazing performance is up 100% in a year. That, that's really incredible. These names are up over 200x, so 200 times from where they were just three years ago. So they've gone, the AMR has gone from $2.50 to $400. And that's that's something that you rarely rarely see and there's specific reasons for it so if you're able to identify this uh, which is not easy but if you can there's a lot of patterns and things that show up that, that um, if you're hunting for these you can add it to your arsenal it's not something you can do all the time but if you do find it definitely incorporate it into your strategy and what was special about amr and another one ceix but a lot of the call names in general is that this setup, so a lot of these companies went bankrupt a few years ago because as I'm sure everyone knows, the coal industry is not the most ESG friendly. Uh, you've got heavy reg regulations and it's very dirty energy. And a lot, it just looked like that industry was dying and going out of business and with renewables, it was left, uh, left in the dust and you have all these funds and all these investors that are not able, you have these institutions that can't own these names. So they had to dump all their shares, get out of it, and they weren't able to buy it back. So what happened was once these companies restructured and they went public again, you had just a lack of investment. And what's happened now is these, these, uh, renewable policies and these, these, uh, objectives haven't been fulfilled in the timeline they were supposed to. So you got the world resorting back to coal and coal demand has actually gone up a lot. So when you have that type of scenario of a lack of investment, 
the lack of infrastructure and heavy, heavy regulations, and then surging demand for, for this resource, it's, it's really a powder keg. And that's how you can see the, these incredible returns. So just for example, AMR is the largest and most diverse metallurgical coal producer. And I've spoken about coal maybe a year ago, maybe a little longer. But what metallurgical coal means is that it's used in steel making. So you have all this industrial production, you have all this fiscal spending on infrastructure, it requires a lot of steel. So how do you produce that steel? You still today need to burn coal to, to be able to, to melt and, and create these, these materials. So what's special about company like AMR is that after restructuring, they, they were able to restructure their debt in a way that now they've been able to pay it off completely. So they're totally debt-free. Their stock is trading, even after this massive run-up, it's still at six times free cash flow. So what that means is that from their earnings and after you deduct all of their expenses, their free cash flow is what's left over to pay back to shareholders or to invest in the company. And they've said that they're not going to invest more because they don't need to. They have all these reserves and they know in the long term, the business is going to die anyway. So they've decided to just return it to shareholders. So they've been aggressively buying back stock, 30% decrease in shares over the last year and a half. And at six times free cash flow, what that means is that if they continue earning and have this cash flow in six years, you'll make all your money back. And they've also got about uh, $40 per share in cash on the balance sheet. So what that means is that these companies, it, it, they're going to continue reducing their share count. They'll continue buying back shares. And with regulations, you're not worried about a new entry. Like in, in technology, the reason why these technology companies can, can go through these, these big cycles where it looks like they're doing super well, the fundamentals are super strong and they implode is because you've got competitors coming into the market and competing away their margins. All of a sudden there's a new tech company that has a better product and the other one becomes obsolete. In an industry like coal, where you've got heavy, heavy regulations, there, no one can just come up and set up a new coal mine. That's not gonna happen. And these guys really can't expand either because, because of regulations. So they'll continue producing the coal they have low expenses and it's long-term contracts. So all of these steel producers that require coal for manufacturing, there's a lot of visibility as to what they're going to be earning in the future. So it may, a lot of this has been priced in, as I said, the stock's now at $400. It was at $2.50, but this is just a, a, a very great case study that in the future, if you're looking at certain industries and certain names and you can discover this and, and get onto it early, well, a, a 200x return is enough to, uh, even if you put 1% of your portfolio in that, uh, you'll, you'll have uh, great returns over those three years. It's not easy, but if you can do it, uh, I suggest uh, lo looking into it and um, adding that to your tool toolbox. Good stuff, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, Dan, we went right into the guys. Uh, let me give you a quick read of what's going on with the overall market here right before we go back. Uh, we had two down days that made the uptrend look like uh, it was going to be under pressure. Bulls responded 
uh, Thursday afternoon and following through to the upside on Friday, breaking above this 4,800 level, which had acted as resistance back in late December, also on January 10th uh, and 11th, but finally powering through overnight, pulled back underneath it, back above it. Now we're trading at 4,808 as of 1227. Uh, and this is this is what you want to see. Uh, it's anybody that just decides that there weren't going to be in stocks because of everything that they've been reading about the gloom and doom in the newspaper. I don't know what to tell you. All-time highs aren't aren't bearish. Uh, plain and simple. Here's the Nasdaq 100 yesterday, new all-time closing high, powering through to the upside today, and it's on the back of these big tech names that are at the heart of this new AI movement. And, um, you know, we, uh, we're we not here. We know how to read the markets and take cues from it. Uh, we know when to stay out. We know when to uh, be back in. And that's that's where we sit right now. One The one uh, sector, or I should say market cap, that is uh, really lagging is small cap stocks. If these things get in gear, uh, the market could kick in a, a, another uh, leg it's to here. the upside. And what we might... Yeah, we might see another rot. We might see a uh, minor rotation because these things really led. Look at the uh, relative line here for about a month, uh, starting in uh, late November or December before pulling back. Now, and if you look at a weekly chart, this is just a normal pullback uh, after a strong move up. It seems like they're garbage because it's four weeks down after ha having one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks up. But all we are is sitting on the ten-week. Uh, slash 50-day moving average, very reasonable pullback after a strong run up. So that's where we stand on the markets. You can uh, take us home. Uh, Don, before we do that, I want you I want you to explain to the listeners on the call. We have a call every morning, folks, about an hour before the market opens. We all go through our three best investment ideas, what we're tracking, what we're looking at, and everybody talks about it. And uh, yeah, I guess it was yesterday you were talking to the guys about a, a, a company that went from the small cap index to the mid cap index. And, you know, how everybody normally would assume that that is actually a bullish sign for that stock and it would go up. But you came up with something very that 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 most people are not going to be aware of. Can you kind of tell them and repeat what you said? Yeah, the, the stock was ELF, and uh, it's a leading stock, no question, was a leader for a while, went through a nice base late last year, uh, tried to break out, got caught by under the 21-day moving average in that week, for that uh, week first week that we had uh, this year in the market. But that second week, it, it showed its strength, and it pulled back yesterday 5 to 6%. On that announcement that it's moving from the S&P 600 to the S&P 400, which seems like a promotion, but really there are a lot more index funds that are um, that target small cap indexes than there are target the mid cap index. So what has to happen is the small cap indexes have to sell ELF, while the mid cap indexes have to buy ELF, and there's just more. Uh, there's just more sellers than there is buyers for this uh, short period of time. But we saw it as an opportunity and two other examples. Uh, I, I went back and I, because this isn't the first time that I heard of this uh, leading stocks uh, having a temporary sell-off. Here's an example of Rambus back on uh, December 18th. Hold on a second. The thing, that, the thing that's important is it's not just being added to the 400. You have to simultaneously be drop uh, hunted yep. out. 
Yeah, punted out. Actually, it was 12.4 back here. So here's the first day of it trading. Uh, this big drop down, it was down 5.92%, went sideways uh, for the next four days before taking a leg up to the upside as the market righted itself. Now, it did pull back uh, during the most recent correction in early January, but back to new highs after this move the last couple of days. Uh, and another one that did this uh, is fixed, uh, ticker FIX. These, this is um, AC and heating. Same situation back on, uh, it was announced on 12.4, effective 12.18. Uh, so here is your 12.4, gap down 3.89%, went sideways for five days, took off with the rest of the market. Uh, it's doing basing now, uh, but just bounced at the 50-day moving average. So the bottom line is, if it's added to the 400 and simultaneously being sold by the 600, the S&P 400 mid cap with the S&P 600 small cap being the seller. Uh, expect short-term weakness, but it can be an opportunity to get into some strong names, uh, which after the selling clears, uh, it, it should participate in uh, regain its leadership status. That's that's the point yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm so, trying to make here. Yeah, so a small cap stock going from small cap to mid cap, that means they're doing right. Their management's good. They're moving up, moving on up. They're moving on up to the east side, right? They're moving up. That's right. And, and, and things are getting better. But when they do that initially, that first couple days, if they go off the Russell, they've got to be kicked off the small cap too. If they're just getting added to the mid cap, it may, it's not going to be bad. Normally, that's not normally it's. But, but if it is simultaneous, expect weakness right away, but that may give you a big opportunity. Um, the only other comment I'd like to make is uh, regarding Mike on the coal. Right. Remember, just a few years ago, one of the administration was trying to eviscerate coal and kill coal, and it became very bearish because they thought the green movement was going to take over. Well, we'll find out that wind doesn't work at all. In fact, it's a net drain, and and you got to burn coal to charge the EVs, to charge the electric, to plug them in. So whenever you hear of green energy, think of coal. Whenever you think of charging electric vehicles or electric anything. Think of coal. That's why it's not gone yet. They, they realized we can't completely kill coal because then what are we going to do? We're really going to look stupid because we changed the whole system we work on without a plan and we weren't ready yet. So at some point it may go away, but not in the near future. So anyway, and that here's was the, a here's the solar point. ETF down, down 66% since uh, it topped. Um, right, because yeah. it's having more and more problems. It, it's yeah. there's so much don't go, problem. Don't go by the headlines. Go by uh, it. It topped in early 2020. Here's the run up during the uh, <laughs> the post COVID run up, and it's given most of it back. You just you got to follow the charts, not not what you read in the paper. And a lot of that green stuff, a lot of the market rallies on that is based on government spending toward the, they'll, they'll announce some new big initiative where they're going to spend lots of money in that area. And then those, uh, those, those companies run and then it doesn't work and then it gets in trouble. Remember, government is very inefficient. When they try to subsidize something or do something, it normally does. That means it's not ready for prime time yet. Just my opinion. Folks, listen, if you liked what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com up in the right-hand corner. There's a subscribe button. They can put their name and email address in, and this podcast will go in their inbox every Saturday morning. But if they go to YouTube, 
and just search for Revere Asset, just Revere, and hit subscribe, you will actually have this inbox in your inbox when Zach posted about one Central Standard Time. You can also, next to it is a contact button, you can send me an email and ask me about coming on board as a client, a complimentary portfolio review, or a stock you'd like, or a topic you'd like discussed on the show. And you can always email any of us, dan at revereasset.com, Don, Ted, Michael, or Connor at revereasset.com, or you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, we'll talk to you next week on Your Money. It's not their money, it's your money. And it's not how much you made in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.